Hello everyone, I'm Roberto and you are listening to the Punks in Pops podcast. I'm jumping in here because I want to tell you about a project I started with a friend of mine. We run a DIY and sustainable brand called Anxer. They spelled A-N-X-U-R. Uh, we do vegan sauces and condiments. All our ingredients are organic, seasonal and locally sourced. All our products are prepared on order and delivered across the UK. We just released our new winter season range of products, so go check it out on our website, theanxer.com. You can also find us in markets and vegan events around London. We will be at the Portobello Christmas Market on the 6th of December and uh, at the Be The Future Vegan Market in Stoke Newton on the 12th and 13th of December. We are a very young business and we are trying to put our brand out there. So please don't forget to take a look at our Instagram page at UK and give us a follow. We also have a side project. We run a shitty and very badly edited podcast that we started during the first lockdown called Two Meters Away Punkcast. You can listen to it on Spotify. Basically, I just talk a lot of nonsense and play punk tunes. I hope you like our brand and what we do, and please support local small businesses. Thanks so much to Liam for this space, and we love punks in pubs. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome to the Punks in Pubs podcast. My name is Liam Bird, and I hope you're all finding a crumb of happiness and joy wherever you can find it, because fuck, these are still dark times. But there, are, there is good news. Uh, there's a vaccine coming out. Hopefully, uh, we'll all be vaccinated by spring or summer next year. That's got to be good. Uh, I mean, get the fuck out of here if you're an anti, if you're an anti-vaxer, because guess what? Bill Gates does not want to put a chip in your body because A, he doesn't give a fuck about you. You are insignificant to him. But B, Google and Apple have already been to it because your mobile phones that we clutch in our hands like our life depends on it tells all those big fucking companies where we are, what we're doing and what we want to buy. So uh, yeah, the vaccine's got fucking nothing to do with that. Just take your vaccine and jog on and live your life. So vaccines, positive news in the UK, shows are starting to open up again. That's amazing. That means artists are getting paid. Venues aren't fucking closing down. That's all happening with social distancing in place. And Christmas is coming up. And that's always nice, isn't it? Who doesn't want to watch Elf for the hundredth time? Greatest Christmas movie ever. Don't at me. Quickly, I would like to apologise for the lack of episode last week. Sadly, a band decided that they wanted to be a cunt and not turn up to our Zoom call that was planned in advance. Uh, shit happens normally, I kind of brush it off, but this band approached me. So not turning up to the thing that you wanted to do because you wanted a bit of exposure on the podcast is a very fucking cunty thing to do. I won't name the band because they're quite a big New York hardcore band, but I'll let you guys be Sherlock Holmes. And if you want to guess, you can at Punks in Pubs on Twitter. Uh, quick merch update. I only have a few Punks in Pubs t-shirts left. And I want to shift them out of my garage because I, I've got other stuff I need to put in the garage. So I've dropped down the price down to £14 a t-shirt. Go get your t-shirt. Get a free sticker as well. T-shirts can be found on our Etsy webpage. Link to the page is in the episode description of this podcast. Or just search Punks in Pubs 
podcast into whatever search engine you want to use and you will see our page there right let's crack on because i've got a fantastic guest for you for episode 68 Episode 68 is me looking down my laptop camera, talking to the guitarist of the US street punk band The Casualties and the founder and owner of the indie label Charge Records. He is Jake Colassus. Jake uh, was a delight to talk to, such a good dude. Uh, we spoke for about an hour and we touched on a range of topics from the bullshit ideology around punk and selling out. Uh, we also talk about getting fucked over by promoters all over the world. I discover Jake's love for food and Jake talks to me about being musically inspired by his mother who played the mandolin. Jake also reveals why he relaunched his label Charge during COVID and of course we talk casualties. We hit on the early days, uh, we talk about highlights as well as the change lineup. Talking of the change lineup, I also felt it was really important that we touched on a difficult subject matter that was uh, the sexual assault allegations that were made against former lead singer George. I just want to give you a heads up on that. I will be back after my chat with Jake to wrap up the show, but before that, enjoy this. This is episode 68 with myself and Jake. I'm dyslexic, so sometimes I butcher people's names. So I want to make sure I get your last name right. Is it Colossus? Colossus. Colossus. Yeah. I I think you're going to say yeah just to be polite now. No, no, you're good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no problem, man. All right, then, let's kick it off then. Uh, Looking down the internet at me is Jake Colossus. As we have to start with every single episode, I think... How are you doing? Because these are fucked up times. These are COVID times. Normally, this podcast will be done across from our bar table, but we're doing the best we can. Yeah, yeah man. You know, it's uh, just keeping busy. Like with, um, I got a little restaurant up in Montauk that I work at, and uh, just try to like do that and fucking um, doing the record, little record label and stuff, and brought charges back out of the. Uh, beyond the grave kind of thing, you know, so I'm doing that. And um, it's just anything like sort of keep busy and not just be on like a lockdown thing of where you're just like, you know, just stuck in limbo kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're going to, we're going to talk about charge in a sec. Um, but okay. yes. I, but I, I wondered like how much you actually miss now being asked how the tour's going. Cause I know that's a trope that most people in bands fucking hate that question of, oh, how's the tour going? Because it sounds like lazy people asking lazy questions. But I bet you're dying yeah. to hear that question now. Yeah, I can't wait to be on the road again. Um, it's one of those things where you just have to, we'll just have to get through it. Those days will be back, you know. We'll be we're, uh, right now just writing some music and trying to, like, prepare for 
the the time when it is time to to tour but i'm not like totally uh i miss it but i'm not totally like you know um like uh what's what's the way word i'm looking for i'm not totally distraught over it you know i'm, yeah. I'm kind of like okay well i've accepted it and this is what it is and we'll be back like shortly you know it's i feel like maybe like six months to a year we got something booked for december so <laughs> oh, that's but good, it's just yeah. like a festival. yeah a festival in europe with like the exploited and funeral dress and stuff um it's in belgium so punk is kind of like a small community even though there's a lot of bands it's still like everyone seems to know everyone have, have you spoken to your friends like on whatsapp about like touring like do, do the do the people who you know who are touring musicians actually quite jonesing for it because something that i think people in this industry haven't spoken about really is like the mental health aspect of how not going on tour is actually might be affecting them because it's the world that that you guys know is it's your jobs it's your nine to five right it's uh it sucks but i mean what that's another thing like what can you do really like it's just you just have to accept that we're not doing that right now and then everybody who's an artist or anything has to like hustle a little bit and try to see what they can do in the meantime. Like yeah. I loved like looking forward to some kind of show every six months or some kind of something to where we could like hit the road and, you know, be out there, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it feels like it's not like happening right now, obviously and not for a while. So I'm not saying anything new, but it's, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, you can, you can get creative and start doing things that can like prepare you for later. But I think as far as, you know, write, write music, right. Start writing paragraphs, uh, you know, do your art, focus on the things that'll keep you busy and to keep you sane. You know what I mean? Like, uh, (laughs) mess, like mess with that corner of your room. You've been waiting to all those things, you know, it's like, go through those records, start playing old stuff again, you get inspired. It's, it's pretty I'm not bummed I you know it's it's kind of was was almost like necessary for me a little bit because I felt like I was getting a little jaded on um aspects of music you know mm. so oh, yeah. good. so you got you've had like, like little respite and now when you go you're going fresh so that's that's good to yeah know. so um I started buying new records from bands again um and, and new bands uh like um I checked out um there was a, a few oi bands that I really want to check into um chubby and the gang and then um i saw i saw a review about them it looked really cool the record looks cool um there's another band called um uh the royal hounds and now i think they're called new york city royal hounds or something like that i wanted to check them out there was like a slew of new punk bands that i just didn't i i would screenshot the album covers and i was like i'm gonna get to this one day soon and then i finally the other day i was like let me like spend like 200 bucks on vinyl. (laughs) It only took a pandemic for you to get into checking out new bands, man. (laughs) So you're basically harder as you get older, you know, fucking right. It is. I, I read a story, a study that says once you're over, I think it was like 21 or 22, your musical tastes won't change. Like that is it. You are stuck in the road that you've created and oh i'm okay with that yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you're based in uh, jersey city is that where you've always is that where you grew up well no um i'm not now i'm in montauk all the way out on the tip of long island you can't actually go any further there's a lighthouse and then that's it it's like a beach and you just see waves (laughs) is that purposely because you wanted the waves is is that kind of no i actually i have like a little restaurant out here that i did i did one in the city about eight years ago and then three years ago we grew to out here 
And so I'm just kind of like keeping an eye on it's the down season out here now. Yeah. So I'm just keeping an eye on the place and I I'm, I'm living out here right now. And, uh, I was, I was in Jersey city for like 15 years, but I like burnt out on it. I'm like, yeah, every once in a while, like every 50, 10 to 15 years, you need to change. I think it's healthy, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So I put my stuff in storage and I was out of there. So what kind of food are you rustling up? It's like oysters, cocktails, light French flair, if you will. <laughs> is, is that something you're passionate about them food or is it like the business side you enjoyed? I think it's like column A and column B. I think you have to be into both, you know? Mm. And um, being in the band, it kind of was like at an early uh, at an early age, I kind of felt like I would like save my anything I ever made. And I, and, I, and a lot of things I kind of like to just rely on myself, you know, mm. so I I didn't, you know, what let's say like past members wouldn't show up to a show or like wouldn't be on the plane to start a tour, just stressed. And I was like, you know what? I want to, I need to do some things just for that I'm involved with outside of the band, you know? So I, that's when I did this stuff about, and I did, I did a bunch of things. I did a tattoo shop. I did um, the record label and just some things to like, be like, let me see what this is like. Yeah. And finally the restaurant kind of clicked and I could be part of a team that wasn't involved in that. Well, like that wasn't my band. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when I love those guys. So when of you're touring then, when you're touring then, do you go and check out food, like little food markets and restaurants oh, yeah. and places? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> I mean, when you're in, I mean, not particularly the UK. The UK's got a little better now of food, but like when yeah. you're in Germany or Italy, man, that must be like gold rush for you. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's cool. It's fun too, because I, you know, I like to experience like other cultures food. Who doesn't, you yeah. know, there's all these like cool shows that came out and exposed a lot of that. And then, now I feel like, um, you know, you have everything from like the Anthony Bourdain, the Gordon Ramsay stuff, all all that cool stuff, and it was just like entertaining to watch. And it was like, oh, you know, I'm in that town once in a while. I'm gonna go check this out. But I, you know, I also like seeing like weird statues and like if it, if something's like if something's like sort of haunted, and I can have a drink there too. Uh, that's like my favorite thing. <laughs> I mean, that's literally every pub in the UK, mate. Like every right, pub yeah, is haunted, yeah. so you you always got some creepy old fuck staring back yeah. at you. Um, so did... I love it. We yeah, it was like in Nottingham. We went to um, we went to Yield, the oldest pub in like Jerusalem. The world that's the Nottingham's my hometown. Yeah, so yeah. Yield Jerusalem, yeah, it's the oldest pub. Yield Jerusalem. It's that's built right. into the cave. It's built into the caves in Nottingham. Yeah, yeah. That was fucking cool. That was really cool. It's not, it's not cool if you're six foot four because you hit every fucking post as you walk in because it's really low down ceiling so you're kind of ducking to get in to find a table but uh, yeah it's the oldest right. pub in, well, uh... I'm five nine, so it's perfect for me I see <laughs> <laughs> people were shorter back in the old yeah. days um, so, so did you grow up in New York City then? no I didn't I didn't grow up there I was, grew up in New Jersey but I spent like I mean every every second I could in my 20s and probably no actually teenage years um, cause I joined the band in 93, I was 16. So I was just like on a bus to New York city every second I could, you know? Mm. And, um, geez, I barely graduated high school because of it. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what kind of people were you then? Were you like schools, just something to get through or did you actually enjoy school? The, I, I think there's, there's elements of the school I went to, um, had cool stuff like it, no it was cool and this is why um i had some good friends there and the one the high school i was right on the border of this town and so i went to this, this high school called north hundred and they had like 
uh, cooler things for people like us at the time. Like it was like a, a cool uh, screen printing class, like some cool art classes. So I opted to do all that because that's what I was into. And then the screen printing thing was really cool because I started printing uh, casualties like um, uh, shirts and stuff. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to see what I could do. And then all of a sudden I started uh, making our own, um, so, some of our own uh like t-shirts and stuff and i was like yo give me some art let me do this and so it kind of started with that and we were at the time the band that was showing up to shows with like multicolored t-shirts and stuff that and our peers didn't have that they just had white on black the same old same old same old and i was like yeah let me let's get like the like let's see if we can do like the old like you know exploited or gbh shirts or like even like some of the metal ones i was always kind of like curious how like bands like let's say like big bands like iron maiden or metallica had like a fucking hundred colors on a t-shirt i was like i want something like different and cool like that for um for our shows and we were just a little diy band so if i could get three colors on a shirt that was a big deal you know <laughs> back then it was a big deal now it's not as much of a big deal but so we always quite creative rather than academic because that was always your like your skill yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely because i love I think uh, getting out there, like, you know, was more, it was more important to go travel and go see the world. And, and uh, to me, you know, yeah. it, it's different for everybody, but for me, it was like more important to just get out there. Cause life, the band was calling, you know, people were interested in the band in like Europe and we're really starting to get a little, little underground spark going and the U S and we, we put the time in. And finally, after about five, six years of that, it started uh, getting interest in other places across the seas and Japan and all stuff. And I was like, dude, I want to go see all this and do it now. Like, mm. you know? Yeah. And I couldn't pay attention to school anyway. So it didn't really, I was just, I couldn't wait to get out of there and just go out and see my friends and play music and like hit the city, you know? And, and I wasn't even drinking like heavily or anything, you know, it was, it was just more about like, experiencing going going to cbgb's who's playing every weekend it was just fun i loved that i, I would never i have no regrets about that no regrets <laughs> so so was music something that was kind of brought into the household was it something that was always being played or was it something you discovered outside of the house no my my mom actually my mom uh she was like um a mandolin player and all her sisters they had like a little band yeah um so i think when she saw that i was kind of like the artistic child <laughs> That was kind of like, uh, hey, why don't you? Because um, my high, my school, my grade school before high school, you know, um, four through oh, five through eight, um, it was kind of like they had like a clarinet class and like a drums class, but nobody they didn't have a guitar class, right? And so my mom was like, well, why don't you try to like learn this? So I was sort of started learning outside of um, outside of school. And I was taking little lessons. And then once I could like sort of play like the Ramones or the Foreskins or something cool like that, I was like, uh, took a break on lessons because I just wanted to rock. And then, and then I just, um, you know, met some people to jam with like anybody does probably. Yeah. And then just started rocking. And then I would go to shows in the city and met up with, um, with a bunch of punks there. And then one day, um, after seeing the casualties, uh, I became friends with them to an extent and uh, George and I befriended each other. And then one day he needed a guitarist and I could 
I just said yes. I could, I knew I couldn't even play half of those songs, but just like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And then sort of learned with the band and we all grew together, you know. You bullshit until you make it. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's what, what happened. Doing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I knew I could barely play this, but I asked, this was the story. I asked Tim from the Blank 77 because he was a good guitarist. He's still a great guitarist. He plays all the instruments. And at the time, I was like, dude, I need you to teach me these songs. And he could like, listen he was one of those guys at the time where he could listen to it before i could and he could be like here's how you play that song so he would teach me him and then like everything you know so he was really key in me getting to the point where i could show up and jam with those guys I've heard in interviews where about you you said that you have like 12 or 13 going to punk shows like with yeah. other people were yeah. your family not freaking the fuck out or were they quite liberal and quite laid back and go ah he's just discovering music yeah no my mom was really cool about that because i was i was like um spiking my hair and shit at like probably like dude probably like 12 i really looked up to bands like and i still do uh like the accused and the exploited they were very key in my life to to be like i want to play like this i want to i want to look like this i want this way of life you know and yeah. then and then so i and then after that it started to be like you know you, you get into music and you're like whoa there's shows you can go see some of these bands or you can go see little bands that nobody knows and also so it, it just spiraled and i was that was like about 12 and then 13 i started going to things with my older friends and usually my friends are older you know hmm. and so i would hitch a ride with them and um, I, I had no, like I said, I, I had no interest in drinking. I just had interest in, um, I wasn't cool yet. So I just wanted to buy merch and like <laughs> buy a t-shirt, buy an album. I always made it a point to get a record or a tape, mostly tapes at that time, but seven inches were around. And then I started getting into vinyl. And, but anyway, like my mom was very cool with letting me express myself. She never had any kind of, we had a few arguments, of course, you know, but, um, cause I, because of academics, you know, but, yeah. um, she, it, I, there's this one argument we had. I'll never forget. <laughs> I was like buying records all the time from like England, you know, like eight, 1982 bands and stuff and rare seven inches. And I still have everything and I, I love it all. Right. So like I was ordering records all the time. They would come in. I would just like sit with a seven inch in my room, just playing the music. And um, I remember doing not too well in school. And she one time, <laughs> She was like, I'm sick of this punk and oi shit. <laughs> we had this big blowout. But I never forgot that. Like, she was like, I'm sick of this punk and oi bullshit. <laughs> uh, it was funny, dude. Because um, I'm still into the same shit. Yeah. So what kind of music yeah. was your mom listening to then? What, what did she do? What did she enjoy? They were like, you know, my mom and my dad was like, it was like Harry Chapman. And, um, you know, like uh, some pretty like stuff from their generation, their yeah. era. 
Um, and so, like, uh, I want to say, like, um, you know, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, there was, like, Willie Nelson. You know, I don't hate any of that. I'm just saying, like, um, I was, like, you know, I went loud and crazy. Mm. And then, um, so then, you know, to get serious for a second, then, like, when I was 13, my dad passed. And so my mom was kind of, like, she was kind of, like, carrying the household. So I think it was, like, my brother was already out of the house, and then it was just me and my sister. And my sister was kind of my mom's uh, buddy, and they were – because she was younger, you know? Yeah. And so I was kind of, like, coming into my teenage years uh, at, like, 13 and just being, like – I was going out skateboarding every night. I was probably out a little more than I should have, but, you know, I think my mom was just like, he's all right. He's just being a teenager. And, um, I like I said, man, I was, I was just like – I kind of – I think it was, like, one of those things – in a weird way, when you have one parent, they kind of like, just like, as long as you're okay and you're, mm. you're doing whatever, you kind of like didn't really have a lot of rules as you might if you had two parents, you know? Yeah. In a weird way, contributed to me just like being out in New York City at 13 and 14 and just being like going to shows and, you know. So I, so the shows that you're going to, that you kind of touch on CBGBs. So were you going to those matinee hardcore shows? Honestly, it was CBs was like a little later in the night. I, my first ones were like this place called ABC, ABC No Rio. It was this tiny little basement, dude. I swear to God, it was like 10 by 12 room with a stage. And it was um, right down in the Lower East Side. And it was like, um, that was where I was going. This is like an anarchist collective, super punks. Like mm. there's a band that denied, Austin Rotten would play there. Saw the casualties there, public nuisance. The names go on and on and on. And so, like, that was where I was like, whoa. And then I got introduced to CBs a little later. Not much later, but, like, you know, two years back then seems like an eternity, you know. Um, so, and, yeah, the hardcore shows were cool. I just, like, Warzone was really cool. They crossed over into the punk stuff a lot. Like, so I remember seeing those guys a lot. I always would see Rabies on St. Mark Street. And, um, and then, so I saw them at Wetlands Bunch. But it was... I wasn't just going to hardcore. It was like more like, like punk, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then I, I kind of like got into both and, you know, scenes when you're younger, scenes are so separated and then you get older and just realize how stupid that was. And then you go to like both, you know? Well, I heard, I've heard about ABC No Rio because it's, yeah. a, it's a collective whereabouts. They really had a strong ide- ideology on like, right. Get, no, right. no, none of that violent shit, none of that homophobia, none of that racism. Yeah. Yeah. Because CBG was all very, Sorry, just because CBGB's towards the end of it supposedly started becoming quite a toxic masculinity kind of bro fest. <laughs> and I don't know, I, I, like, I've only read about this because obviously I wasn't there at the time. Was that something that you kind of felt as well? Or is that something that's kind of hyperbolic? I agree with both things. I think um, it, it also depends on what shows you go to. Um, ABC No Real was definitely cool on the um, anti-racist, anti-homophobia, um, but it wasn't. It was a good middle ground. Like, you know, you had Neil Robinson from Tribal War, a bunch of very political people, but you didn't have like, um, it was, it was also fun though, too. It wasn't like, um, it wasn't till later to where you had to start, like, it it got a little too, um, cops, you know, like punks being cops. And it was just, then it started to get not fun. And then I think CBGBs was having like really cool street punk, uh, shows, and we were allowed to play a lot of those shows. And then it was like, um, uh, we finally got it. We finally got big enough to play CBs. And then 
uh, Coney Island High was happening. So it was like it was like uh, punk without the rule book kind of because ABC No Rio got really like strict on the rules and like then all of a sudden bands had to send in their lyrics and it just like was like this it was like too difficult for punk rock and it's like of course i get some of the reasons why but it it got a little too much and then you had a lot of hateful kind of ultra extreme um political people and it just took all the fun out of it when it was when you start being a cop then it takes all the fun out of punk you know yeah yeah, so right so not that the the original ideas were cool and, and i was on board and it was there before i was around so when I was going there, I was like, I love all this, you know, was, and then, um, CB started having like, like better shows and Coney Island high had better shows. And we just kind of left that in the dust. I'd like playing with, um, bands that were fun and didn't have to talk, uh, have a political sermon after every two songs, you know, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to like slam dance, dude. You know what I mean? Well, I, I've, I've, I've heard that you like your first ever show, like someone just spat beer straight in your face yeah and and it's huge dude yeah so i, like, I mean terrified terrifying dude it's terrifying. I, that'd be terrifying for any fucker man like anyone yeah. in their 20s or even 30s playing their first show you get about ready to play and some fucking yeah. big old dude just spits beer in your face how do you compare yeah. like was it like this is thrilling this is fucking yeah or was it like was oh, dude what the fuck i was dude yeah i was 16 and i, I was like this is gonna be interesting uh you know because i was scared of every, you know you're 16 i was fucking terrified of everybody and everybody's like older like and you know um people had facial tattoos when it wasn't like a thing and it was gnarly it was like um so this would have been 93 right around so that was probably my first show there's pictures of it somewhere and um <laughs> dude, i was like a sophomore in high school and i just remembered like the and you know everybody was like huge like tall and you're like um older and just fucking like it was super punk i was just not like i didn't know what to expect and i was like okay we're gonna play and um there was it was like it was like uh rowdy man really not violent but like energy violent like yeah yeah and so i remember this one dude like huge i mean like this guy was like i think he was like a ufc fighter or something (laughs) tall like dude and he's like decked out he comes of course like <laughs> first or second song and i'm like oh shit he's like this i'm like looking up i'm like <laughs> comes up to grabs me i swear i get wrapped by the shirt and it was like boo, and it was like just booze like and i was like all right here we go <laughs> hope i live through this fucking thing i'll never forget it man but it was great though because what a great way like you had to earn some stripes you know you, you had to get dissed and see if like you wouldn't like fucking run away or something, you know, like, and there was fights that happened, all kinds of stuff. So you kind of had to be like, you couldn't just like walk into the scene, you know? Did, did you turn to the rest of the guys and go, did you just fucking see that guy? No, like- they were getting dragged off stage too. Like uh, <laughs> George was, George and Colin were like getting ripped off the stage. It was so crazy. I was like, this is like fucking punk, dude. I was like into it, but I was kind of like glad they left me alone a little bit after that, you know? Cause I think it was very obvious that I was like, a super young kid at the time so i think is like i didn't get my ass kicked but it was just like pretty gnarly man. 
joined in 93 as the, as the new guy. How long did it take you until you started to feel like you got your stamp in the band? Uh, I think it was like after I felt like it came down to recording. So we did a compilation. My first ever recording experience was on a compilation called Pogo Attack. And then after that, um, it was the second single on uh, it was the second single called The Fucking Way of Life. And um, it was like next. I felt like it was if you compare those two seven inches, uh, 40 ounce casualties to um, a fucking way of life. I was already I was into it at that time. I like earned my chops a little bit. And then it was kind of like I was heavy and I'm still heavy into these bands, but it was like heavy into GBH and Blitz. And you could hear that 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 mm. influence. The second sing- single was way faster. And way more distorted and like loud, you know. And everybody, it wasn't just because of me, but I was like writing songs like that. Two of the songs were older ones, but um, two of the ones like I was listening to like the Actives, um, <sighs> Threats were cool. George turned me on some like stuff like Defects. Um, so it was like shit that was like um, it was it was moving. Those bands were moving, dude. So. Mm. It was like, but they were like forgotten, you know? So we were like resurrecting a style that had been dead for like so long, you know? And there was not many bands doing it. There was a few New York City bands doing it, um, like the Denied and Public Nuisance and, and Blank 77. They were, the, they were my friends. They got me into a lot of punk. Um, but uh, those were the bands kind of like repping this like cool street punk thing that wasn't, you know, before it was, I guess, maybe... It was just like punk rock, but you know what I mean? It was, it was like really fucking cool. I had a lot of fun with, with all those people, you know, I don't see them much of them anymore, but it, it was really key into like getting stuff going. Uh, I probably strayed away from that question. I don't know. No, no, no. It's so good. It's so I good. I answered any of that correctly, but that short period though, from 93 to 94, 94 is obviously known for being like the kickoff for uh, another wave of punk with bands yeah. like Green yeah. Day, Offspring, No Effects. Right. And and like a Rancid band was Rancid was the band. Out of well, I was going to say bands. Rancid, yeah, who yeah, probably be the, the gateway. It would be a gateway yeah. into like the casualties. So, like right. at that time, right. were you were you lucky and going? This is coming for us. We're, like we're 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 going to be caught up in this wave. And then when it didn't really happen, were you like, what the fuck? What happened? No, I felt like it. I felt like it did. We were just a lot more like um, the casualties were like a uh, more like underground sound and we we weren't really we didn't we didn't have the the california thing as much as you know i i think that rancid would have been the closest thing to us and they were a great band and they even helped us um but the our sound was gnarly we didn't know anything about recording budgets and all that stuff and i'm so i'm extremely happy with i didn't feel like i was left out of it as per se as like we just weren't from california yeah and we didn't sound like those california bands you know but um, I said I think out of those, out of those that you mentioned, we would have had more in common with like Rancid, and and they were friends, and they're still cool guys, um, of course, and you know, so I, I kind of like it didn't it did you know it didn't really pertain to me I, or the band at the time. We were just doing we were on our own path, and we were playing like you know we were playing Fireside Bowl in, in Chicago and cool shit like that. We weren't we were like slowly going up you yeah. know it did it wasn't like someone some big fat guy with a cigar came over and said 
here's like 50 grand to record like that didn't happen were you prepared were you thinking like you know like sometimes as you're driving long long drives you were like if someone does come up and offers that money like because at the time there's a lot of bands who were going to majors and majors were sniffing around and 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 obviously in the punk community that's that's a no-no which i for me i'm like get your money man but i mean right right me too so (laughs) so so at the time then were you kind of like fantasizing of Oh, yeah. If someone comes and offers that money, we're, we're taking it. Yeah, a little bit. But, uh, you know, uh, the label that would have been closest to that was uh, Side One Dummy. They they finally got the band um, proper management. It got us out of, like, just playing uh, small places where it would just be, like... Because it was an audience for us. And then finally we started doing, like, Warp Tour and, like, really got... Ex- we were still fucking gnarly and, like, still, like, playing heavy music. But finally, we got to record in a way that could really bring the band to the table sonically. That's yeah. like how we all felt. So it was, we finally got a real recording budget and recorded with um, Bill Stevenson. And on the front line was kind of our break out of just being like Maximum Rock and Roll's favorite band or some shit, you know? And did you feel that straight away once that album was released? Did you feel like, oh, this momentum is with us? Like, let's, let's, let's keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we did take it for as far as we could you know again dude we were not writing like nothing about the casualties was like gonna ever be super radio friendly you know we, we might have a little splash of stuff but we were like the motorhead of punk you know it was like it's gonna be gnarly it's gonna be fast and it's gonna be consistent from album to album and uh, that's what we wanted i i didn't want to try to write anything like it wouldn't be real if we were writing shit to be on the fucking radio or something which yeah. i we don't care about now we didn't care about that and so the, like the casualties had like a, a quite a lot of a change up until 97 and uh, yeah. in, in interviews yeah. i've heard you say that um part of the reason of that was drug abuse in past members <laughs> was there ever a, yeah yeah was, was there ever a point where about that nearly put a stop to the whole band no because you know at the time we wanted to just keep like moving forward and like we were like we even knew then certain members were just just it was just where they were in life there was no hatred yeah but like some people would kind of uh they were in the hard hard drugs and i was i we george and i weren't into that and um we had to make some changes and then and then we got some other people and they they didn't want to like leave their jobs or risk their relationships and things like that so it got hard to find like the do or die types uh the you know so and then we finally got you know then we finally got meggers and then we finally got rick and you get you got people that want were like down for the the long haul you know yeah and it it takes a little bit of that because otherwise you don't you don't move forward man yet it might be really rad to have like two records out that people cite from you know 20 years later and then you're you, you're just out in purgatory or you're just you're a you're fade into obscurity and none of us ever want i never wanted that i i was like i want to be like keep going and be out there and be known and be sure that we made our mark and we would be in record stores and like now they're gone but <laughs> like it was kind of like i want to make a mark and have it be fucking there forever and just be like love it or hate it but there was like a in the in the C section of the. Okay, uh, for people who are listening, uh, Jake has just uh, unfortunately his line has just gone, 
Hopefully, he will be able to get back on soon enough. There you go. Your audio's connecting now, supposedly. There you oh, go. There, we go. there you I are. Just, I just started hearing you. Sorry. That's all right. You okay? Yeah, my, my phone dies. What I was saying before is, like, we wanted to – we didn't want to be an obscure band. We wanted to be, like – we wanted to be, like, a, a bad religion. We wanted to be, like, you know, um, a GBH. We wanted to be, like, out there. It was, it was like, when you went to a record store, I wanted – there to be like a section for us you know i wanted yeah. there to be a casualties and there is now and there there will be so we've kind of done what i what i wanted to do there's yeah. a whole festival for you mate it's called rebellion it seems to be like <laughs> the perfect festival for you guys i mean i love those bands um i was very happy to play that in 96 that was our first time in 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 england and we were probably the first american band to play that i think that's the first american band to play that historically was us so one of the things that you, you, as a band, you've done, I think probably more than any other punk band, is that you've gone and traveled a bit of South America. And, and yeah. that, like, it's an area of the world that I've always wanted to visit. And I think it's an area of the world also that, like, there's there's quite a big punk community there that's just, like, not valued because yeah. they're just not westernized. Yeah, I think, I think and, you, you know, you're, it's, it's tough. It's because there's, like, some people might say it's because, like, the money, but you go with, some people will promise you things and then they rip you off. Um, but it's like, it takes a lot of trial and error. We, we kind of like went down there a bunch of times, you know, we've been to Mexico, uh, Mexico countless times and we've been to Brazil. We've been to Central America. We did a lot of places that a lot of my peers in bands have not played and will never, will never play because we had that. We did an album in Spanish. We had, we had like two Latinos in the band and, and like it kind of always, transferred it gave us a passage or you know right of passage to go down there but it was it's also tough down there man it was pretty gnarly you know but you you know one day you're playing a show in um in in nicaragua and it's awesome and then the next day you're on a fucking moped on an island with two volcanoes on it there was cool shit like that i loved it i still love it we did um we did honduras like a year maybe two ago we did um no i'm sorry uh guatemala not not honduras we had never been to honduras i'd like to go to honduras would be cool but um yeah dude guatemala i never thought we and we always joked around it was so funny because um rick and i would always joke around and be like dude we should do like a live in guatemala or something <laughs> and then we actually went there how did you end up making those contacts then of, of actually getting there because i think I, I think a lot of bands would like to give it a go but like you said i think it's, it's kind of that sketchy element of it of like are we going to get completely fucking ripped off are we going to lose a yeah, shit ton of that. money yeah it's tough it's like you you we've done all right sometimes and then other times got promised things and then you know but that even that even happened in uh, Australia too. We got fucked over really bad. We went all the way there, and you know, you always kind of like you always want to do the show. That's where they get the artists. Like, well, if you don't, you know, you almost have to pull that card. It sucks. It's like you got to be like, look, we're not going on stage because you have to pay us. Mm. You know, and it sucks to pull that card because. But we learned our lesson. We did we did that a few times in South America and got fucked over, and then everybody points finger and blames other people and like so if your show isn't doing the the work that it's you know supposed to do because the promoter didn't decide to promote it and nobody knows about it then they act like they don't gotta pay you you know yeah. it's shit like that and it's just like grow the fuck up man i'm like 
we're we're men with families and we have like things to do and it's not this you can't just fuck a band over just because you feel like you don't deserve to pay them you know and so we did australia and we got all the way up till we were like no these shows are going good they're going big we had like it was a festival tour called hits and pits and there was this fucking uh dickhead organizer that he disappeared he had to fall off the face of the earth because he owed so many people so many money he promised all these bands all this money and then slowly after like the sixth show and it was like a two-week tour after like the sixth show or halfway mark, he wasn't paying anybody and the, the his crew weren't getting any money. And it was just kind of like, you can't fuck people over, man. And then, so it went downhill and they never had it again because he ripped not only us, but a lot of other bands that mm. were on that tour. So it's tough, you know, you gotta like wait, weigh out all the things. And sometimes it's like, you want like, sometimes you're like, fuck it, let's just get there, play and, you know, you yeah. went. You you got to play in a weird fucking place. It's all that's always cool to me. Um, it's a lot easier to do when you're fucking like between twenty and thirty, and then it gets a little more difficult between thirty and forty. And you kind of got to be like, you can't just uh, you know, time is valuable, and you can't just get dicked around. You know, of course. And yeah. that's for any band. I don't. I don't. I think it's like terribly disrespectful for any band to have to go through that. And you know people karma comes around you know what i mean so um and then you know you have your dickheads out there kind of like well punk's not about money yeah well it is when you fucking shelled out a shit ton of money to get there um all your equipment and all your other things it's not it's not like they don't see any of that so it's like you kind of got to remind people of like this shit isn't just fucking like a cakewalk dude you know while they're at home getting like good educations having good relationships and having a nice little life, you know, it's like, and they're, they're ones on the interwebs being like, you know, punk shouldn't be about money. Like, well, no bands, bands. I believe bands. I've always said this. I believe bands should get paid and they should get paid. Well, I suppose now is a time where about it's kind of coming even truer with, with a lot of people streaming music and bands not getting the yeah. money they probably deserve because everyone's stayed at home. So everyone's listening to a lot more music. And like you yeah. said, discovering new bands, so there's these new bands now who are getting dicked over just because the, the way that, what is it like 0.0.1% of whatever stream it is for our money. So yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. fucked up, man. It's, and you know, it, part of me is grateful. Like, Oh, cool. 7.4 million people were checking this out. <laughs> and I, I did the math and it's like, so if you did, did I did all the, um, you know, like the, the fun math where it's like, okay, so 24 hours, 365 days, and it added up to like 32 years of someone listening to like us constantly. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm so- sure like one day would be enough to like, you would want to kill yourself. But um, <laughs> there, there's the kind of thing where like, yeah, you know, a lot of people are, that should be designed a little bit better to like at least um, kind of contribute to the artist, you know. But like the artist always gets fucked over, and it's not in Europe. Well, in Europe, they take care of bands very well, you know. It's like the U.S. is not set up that way, like at all. And I don't think England is either. No, no, um, not at all. It, yeah, but you go to Europe and they take care of bands. You have a place to stay. You have good uh, accommodations. You have uh, good food. You have. You get hot food, you arrive at the show, there's snacks, there's just like little things that like make it like a little bit better for bands. Like, okay, we can like do this. And they're, you know, the, in Germany, the, some of the towns have money set aside yeah, for the art. Yeah. The US, USA would never fucking do that. 
it's it sucks it's like shit should change because there should be space for ba- people that do art and art should be appreciated and music is fucking art you know you would think so. such a small place like england that is kind of like produced all this music you would great you would music. Think, dude you, i you, love it you, you, you would think that we would cherish it a lot more and really encourage arts to right. continue because it's one of our biggest exports as a, like a we, we are nothing in this world we are a tiny little fucking speck of dust but yet we've created like such great good stuff. music but we just Amazing. Don't, we don't we don't appreciate it and we we don't nurture it and, and it's a sad thing and um we're always right. gonna... and that might be why you have bands like you i mean that might be why just just when i when i think about it that might be why you have guys that are like you know, like take like ozzy and like lemmy and stuff like they're probably just like i'm gonna maybe go live a nice life somewhere where i can be like you know a little more accessible and it's like they get out of england not because england's like a lame place or something but just because like maybe it's like you know you get a little more money elsewhere you know that's kind of how i feel about it out here too one it is a bit of a tricky question so i understand how you might feel a bit like that ah, fuck this i don't want to i don't want to talk about this but i think it's an important one in 2013 lead singer george was accused of sexual assault and rape that led to protests of called boycott the casualties which led to shows being cancelled i've never been put in a situation where about my best friend and the person who has always been by my side has been accused of that so my question my question really is like how was that period in your life standing next to a person who was accused of such horrific things well you know um i guess the short version would be it wasn't it wasn't very fun uh and uh you know a lot of shit was slung at us and smeared and all this stuff and i think that i didn't feel you know look i slept on all the floors i was always in the same places and I didn't feel that those were accurate at all. And I, I also think that, you know, it was, it was a time that that was kind of, you know, not backed up by a lot of fact. And I felt like, you know, I knew the dude and I was with the dude a lot. So I just kind of was like one of those things where, you know, it shit got slung and, you know, he, he didn't really have a fair like shot there. And it was just that it was, you know, what can you do? You know, it's, you you know what am i gonna do chase down people and fucking sue them and they're just not gonna you know so it was it was like i felt like you know we stood by him for another four years and he didn't want to do the band anymore and i you know it, it wasn't that it wasn't that it's like we went through that and we we played with him for another four years and then it was just like kind of like i think his time was just up in the band and he you know there's other there's a lot of things with that where it was like just think someone comes to a point where they don't want to work anymore and they didn't, didn't want to be there anymore. You know, so we kind of like just parted ways and that was that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's kind of, it was unfortunate, you know, but what can you, what can you do? I mean, like we just got through it the best we could and 
we felt like, hey, we're not going to just kick him the curb because we don't believe that. And we were, like I said, I was in those places. And I never, if I had ever seen anything like that, I would never stayed in a band with someone like the band allegedly put out a statement saying it's not very punk rock to believe in women accusing george like i don't actually, know if that was I, i'm really not sure what so that? so it's not very punk rock to believe the women who accused um george of rape that that's allegedly something that was I put out by said, management never he never said that no i don't know no is there any part looking back though that you wish that the band kind of dealt with it better or did you just feel like you dealt with it as good as you could in hindsight, I guess you could you could always deal with something better. It's always easy to be like, "Oh, we should have went back and did this or did that," but I mean, we we dealt with it the best we could and moved on, you know. And yeah. you know that's that's well, what is that twenty years ago? And then you know, David's been in the band for almost four or five years, so you know, we're just we're moving forward. We got new albums out, and that's that, my friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, having Dave in the band, is form- I don't know if he still is. I, I think he's doing stuff with Crumbums again. But like, how how much was that kind of having like new energy in the band and like having just this new kind of like shiny toy? I suppose it was great, man. It was great. It was a breath of fresh air because I think it was a lot of things. You know, it's it was positive energy, and um, we just sort of took like we we you know it it was kind of like the thing where when you're when a plane is flying on three engines and has four, you're always never to your full capacity, you know and um, then we got this guy in the band and he, he was like writing songs and I was like, whoa. And he was driving and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and it was all this cool stuff. And it was just kind of like, I couldn't believe how like on board this dude was. And he was sober too. And he is sober. Um, so it was like a breath of fresh air, man. It was, and it was like, we had energy and like, it wasn't like a downer, you know? And mm. there was a lot of like, a lot of negativity like kind of vanished too. And it, so is is um the across the board you know across the board way more positive and i i i love it man i every day it's great and it's it's, it's he's a great friend he's always been a great fan we couldn't have found a better fit and energy's way better and the, the involvement it's like now four guys in a band you know as opposed to three and dead weight you know so let's let's talk about charge records then a label that you established uh, back in 98 until 2008 whereabouts you, i think you just kind of gave it up and now you've relaunched it and releasing new editions uh you released i think punk united as a comp the punk united compilation i think was one of your first re-releases um so why why have you decided to bring back uh an independent label in a time of covid it just seems like such a crazy idea uh you know it was um it was uh the thing where like it i we you know we were getting this like stimulus check over here and i was like you know what i've been talking about this for a while and instead of like just stockpiling this money i was like let me just kick up the label again and i used all that money to sort of start a project again and you know my buddy tony from um boulevard trash he was like hey you know he was kind of encouraging and so we teamed up together to do the comp and i was like yeah, so there hasn't been a cool comp out in a while, especially not a street punk one. And so we kind of did that together and um, we were, we like, it was great. It was like, it, it couldn't have been a more like refreshing thing. And I think that it's what the scene kind of needed to. And so it was like, um, it was fucking this super punk, you know? Um, and it was like, it kind of made me think to start up the label again. 
you know. So you've gone back and, and you've you've re-released uh, Monster Squad's album Strength, Strength Through Pain, as well yeah. as um, Antidote's uh, album My Life. Is is that where you see a gap in the market for like limited runs of albums of old? I don't know if you've gone again. Oh, you, yeah, there you are. There you are. Hey, oh shit! Okay, I'm back. Sorry. That's all good, man. I'll ask the question again. So, um, so yeah, you've re-released uh, Monster Squad's album "Strength Through Pain" as well as the Antidote's album "My Life." Is that where you see yeah. a gap in the market for like limited runs of old albums that probably haven't seen the life of day for a while? Yeah, that was cool to just come out swinging. I have a new band. Uh, those those two albums like were great to like bring back in and i kind of felt like they weren't around like you're saying hmm. so we redid those and just for like the new generation and then um you know and then i put a lot of like extra cool stuff in there like i felt like it was like you know like an old title um on cd and then um like a patch sticker just like i always think it's cool to like give a little you because I, I was always excited to get extra stuff when i would order records back then yeah so um, it was great, man. I, I really felt like it was, it's fun to do this. And then, uh, you know, so I brought, you know, and, and you just hope to break even really. And then, um, oh God, well, let's see. Uh, we got a new band coming out. Um, and that is uh whole hog. Uh, we announced Monday and they're a fucking excellent band. And that, uh, that's what I was saying. I was like kind of thinking like, I didn't want to just become, a reissue label, but I wanted to like put out stuff that was, um, you know, I wanted to put out, uh, come out of the gate swinging, like just put out a couple like home runs yeah. and then and, like give it cool packaging and then introduce a new band, see how it does. So we'll find out this week. So is that something that you've learned from, from your charge records, I suppose, point one is, is that like lessons learned? We bring it back, like do some safeties, get some stuff where basically you know it's going to get traction and then release like the new bands that you want to push. No, because I, this, this was it. This is the coming back. It wasn't like that. I didn't have that back then. I won't do CDs anymore. And I probably won't do like, uh, uh you know, I probably won't do like a thousand records. Cause I don't, I don't have room for it, but, yeah. um, you know, it's like kind of, cause the, you know, you, you, you get rid of a bunch and then they kind of trickle out after that. And I, I'm just trying to, you know, see if I can't put a couple new things out and like, there's an outlet for like bands like this that uh, want to, you know, put something out, you know, get some new music out. I mean, the vinyl, as, as opposed to the old stuff, some of the old stuff too. I also, there's a good mix, you know? So let's wrap this up then. So a band, a band like the casualties don't survive 30 years without learning a few things so i mean so for you you then what has been the one bit of advice that stayed with you all this time and another bit of advice that was given to you by an old timer that was just the worst advice ever given oh worst advice i don't know man i i don't i don't hold on to bad advice in a way of like but I mean, I when, really, when I, I say, don't really crucify people or smear them, so I you don't have to name names. I, well, but... I try not to. I um, but I guess it, my fuck you would have been to to people that sort of underestimated the casualties and like kind of there was a lot of you know we got our share of bad reviews and so my middle finger to that is um carrying on and then you know like the we had our share of uh people talking shit about us and so my middle finger to everybody is uh, that. I'm still here. I'm still doing it. I'm still putting out records and we have 
four million streams. So that's my fuck you to everybody. What about the positive there? What's the best advice you've been given? Um, to stay with it, stay the course. Um, friends of mine and older bands that that stuck it out and just you know it's it's kind of like what you would think. It was yeah. it would be like you know stay persistent, um, be dedicated, and. Uh, and then have fun. And that's probably one of the reasons why I like that Dave's in the band, because I have a lot of fun now, you know. Well, I mean, mate, this has been fun. So thank you so much for talking yeah. to me. Thank you for taking the time to interview interview me. Thank you so much to jake for taking the time to speak to me make sure you go check out charge records a link for that is in the episode description of this podcast while you're searching the web make sure you go and support the sponsor of this week's podcast Angzur, i think i pronounced that right Angzur vegan sauces and condiments as well as roberto's two meter away punk podcast again links to those are in the episode description uh, of this podcast you can also find all those links I've mentioned today on our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search at Punks in Pubs. If you would like to sponsor the podcast for free, then please email punksinpubs at gmail.com. That's it for this week. We will be back in two weeks' time uh, for the last show of the year. Till then, stay well, stay safe, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.